Captera.com. Ike Riley, star of Tropical Heat Wave and longtime WMNF favorite, is returning to Tampa and the attic in Ybor City on March 28th. Don't want to miss the show opener at 8 p.m. Siobhan Philidor. It's time to let go. That's Ike Riley at the Attic in Ybor City, Thursday night, March 28th. Capacity is limited, so get your tickets now at WMNF.org. Welcome, I'm Sean Canan, and this hour we're going to talk about the death penalty in Florida, including two bills in the legislature to end the use of capital punishment. I want to know your thoughts. Give us a call. The number is 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. You're listening to wmnf.org 88.5 FM. Well, I want to welcome in my guest today is Mark Elliott. He's executive director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Welcome back to 88.5 FM WMNF. Mark? Thanks, Sean, and thank you for having this discussion on this important issue that affects all of us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad you're joining us, and I hope that our listeners uh, get involved in this because I, I know that it's a, it, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about the death penalty, and I hope that we get to talk to a lot of people today. So uh, let me ask you, your group is called Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Um, why do you say that as opposed to just against the death penalty? Well, the the name of the organization we inherited, but it's uh, it's to take a positive tone instead of saying we're against it, we don't want this, stop this. It's offering alternatives and it's offering solutions. So, what is an alternative? Well, the only legal alternative to the death penalty in Florida is life in prison without parole. There are some ways that there could be some, you know. Uh, life sentences that do have parole, but typically it's life without parole, which in essence is a death penalty, except we're not physically killing someone. And if like in so many cases, someone, it turns out they didn't do the crime, that they're innocent, they can be released. Uh, We've had 28 people released in Florida thus far through evidence of innocence. And if they would have been executed, we would never know. It's too late. There's no do-over. And that's 28 people who a jury said, you're guilty of this capital crime and you're going to be sentenced to death. And the judge said, you know, went ahead with the death sentence and yet they were later found out to be exonerated. So that's, you know, we're not talking about a minor issue here. That's the difference between life and death for people. There are so many mistakes and I, you know, I think that a lot of people that I talk to who are opposed to the death penalty say that that's one of the main reasons that they're opposed is because if you make a mistake, if the state makes a mistake on a death penalty case, someone is dead. It's not like right. they can go back and rectify that somehow. Right. There's some of the exonerees I work with say, you know, you can release an innocent man from prison, but you can never release an innocent man from the grave. And it is true. There's no do-over with this. And Florida makes far more mistakes than any other state when it comes to this. Is there, what can you say about the reason why that might be? I mean, part of it could be just, you know, random chance of the something that's a small likelihood of a, a small likelihood event that could happen anywhere. It could end up where Alabama made more mistakes. But I'm guessing that there's something inherent about Florida um, and the justice system that might lead one to expect that Florida makes more mistakes. Is there anything that that would be? 
Well, it's the state attorneys have pretty much unlimited budget to pursue a death penalty trial. When they say they're seeking the death penalty, there's no cap on what they can spend. And so they have the advantage from the beginning. And the way the rules were written in the past, they had a, a huge advantage. And if someone, say, can't afford a lawyer, uh, uh, they're not politically connected, they're a member of minority, they get once the target, once the crosshairs are on them, it's it stays on them and other suspects or people that could be suspects are usually not even investigated so the truth never comes out in these cases of wrongful conviction and probably one of the worst things about this is that the innocent people that have been exonerated don't get anything they just get you know the door opens and out they go and some after five years 10 15 20 or more years on death row so we're hoping to do something to fix that too. There's been some efforts in the past, but just get it's you just, know the door opens and out they go. So they don't qualify. Our guest is Mark Elliott. He's executive director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. And you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF.org. If you'd like to join the conversation. You can call 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. We're streaming live on Facebook as well as at facebook.com slash WMNF News. And Mark, since 1976, when the death penalty uh, was reinstated in the U.S., only three states have executed more people than Florida, where 97 people at least have been killed. And they're on Florida's death row right now. There are more than 340 people. That's the second largest death row in the U.S. Now, Florida is a big state, so you would expect these numbers to be high. But that is 340 people just waiting to be executed, essentially, by Florida. That's a large number. It, it is a large number. And uh, Florida, in, in just about every category, is in the top two, three, or four in the nation. And again, the category that we're number one is the mistakes, the exonerations. And the, and the state of Florida doesn't identify these mistakes and say, okay, we made a mistake. It has to be, usually it's uh, attorneys donating their time, the Innocence Project, people take it and, and, and get involved in it. And the state fights it tooth and nail all the way to the end and, and as far as they can. They want to see make that conviction stand, that sentence stand, and that's really the the force behind it. So we're number one in that category. I want to ask about something that, uh, that a lot of people are, who are concerned about the death penalty and about prison in general um, talk about, and that's race. What is the connection between race and the use of the death penalty in Florida? The primary connection is that uh, if someone, who, if a white person is murdered, the, who, the perpetrator is far more likely to get a death sentence than if a, a person of color is killed or murdered. So that's the number one disparity. In fact, in Florida, in, since before statehood, actually, in hundreds of executions, never has a white person been executed solely for the killing of an African-American. It really goes to the truth behind what this system is, how it evolved. It evolved from lynching. And it's, it's pretty much the same as it was then, except now it's legal. 
lynching, I'm going to explore that a little bit as well because um, the uh, there's a there was a recent study lynching in America said that 313 people were lynched in Florida between 1878 and 1950. So this we're talking about a decade after the Civil War ended until very recent history after World War II. We've had 313 people where the community the white community lynched a black person uh, and that and you said that that almost is like the the predecessor to today's capital punishment by the state it is today's execution the death penalty program is essentially legalized lynching you know lynching was illegal for the most part back when it was prevalent and florida led the nation per capita executions for much of that time we were one of the worst offenders, and yet no one was ever prosecuted, to my knowledge, or sent to prison, even though it was illegal. Sometimes the sheriffs, the mayor, the you know people would take part in it. They'd be announced days ahead of time. It'd be a big public event, but there was no prosecution. So it might have been illegal, but so now it's just the legacy. Our current executions are legalized lynching. It's the legacy of the past that is continued today, and there's really no need to have these executions anyway they're unnecessary we have other options that cost less are less likely to make a mistake and it's just it's a choice to kill a premeditated it's legalized ritualized premeditated murder when it comes down to it that's what it is that's what's going on in florida and we're all involved in it because the people of the state of florida the verdict is announced in the name of the people of the state of Florida, the charges, and the Senate's carried out. So it's us. We pay for it. We even pay, contract and pay an executioner $150 to carry out an execution. So it's a, essentially a contract killing. We're paying for it as taxpayers. We can't escape the culpability for it. It's, it's, they're doing it in our name. So we're all involved in this and our families and our kids. It's time to just end this. Our guest is Mark Elliott. He's executive director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. My name is Sean Canaan. It's 11.16 in the morning, and you're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF.org. You might also be listening on the WMNF mobile phone app or watching on Facebook.com slash WMNF News. And I want to give out the number because we are trying to get your opinions about the death penalty or what alternatives would be to the death penalty, what your thoughts are, 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. You can email DJ at WMNF.org. You can text 813-433-0885. We do have a comment that was emailed in by David, and he writes, One thing that bugs me about the death penalty is that the prosecutors think that they're infallible, that they won't admit a mistake when a prisoner is proven innocent. I think that prosecutors should be held accountable for their malfeasance. What does your guest think? So how would you address that, Mark? Well, that's been one of the huge problems. There's really no accountability on the for a prosecutor or state attorney that uh, you know where they make possible the conviction and death sentence of an innocent person. Sometimes there's evidence that's excluded. There's you know there's a lot to it, but there's no accountability. There's no there's nothing there today. Um, and that's something that we need in Florida is accountability. Without accountability, they just, you know, it's going to continue as long as they're in office. You mentioned earlier that it's expensive to hold someone on death, on death row and to, and to execute someone. Um, so 
what about the argument that well it's expensive to keep someone in life for prison for in prison for life why would ex- executing someone be more expensive i'm glad you asked that that was, that was one of the toughest issues for me to understand when i first researched this and and uh because it doesn't it seems like it, you know a bullet would cost less than you know keeping someone in prison or whatever but uh the fact is the, when the death penalty is being sought, the trial costs more, the sentencing phase costs more. We're talking millions, and that's in the beginning. And then you have the appeals that cost more. Uh, the trials cost more because there's more experts, there's more attorneys, uh, there, there's more, a lot more expense involved. And yet, here we go, they get it wrong so many times. So that doesn't ensure that the person's actually guilty. So there's some... Uh, it just works out. The best estimate is that it cost, you know, three to five times more to have a death sentence and death penalty than life without parole. Uh, it's it's just the way it, the way it works. It's the legal expenses primarily. I'd like to talk now about a case called Hearst versus Florida. In 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court determined that Florida's death penalty sentencing was unconstitutional. So the Florida legislature went back and made a change to sentencing. They said that jury recommendation must be at least 10 to 2 in favor of the death penalty in order for someone who is convicted in order for them to receive the death penalty. And previously it had been seven to five and a judge could override that. But that was not far enough for the Florida Supreme Court, which ruled later in 2016 that the amended statute was still unconstitutional because a death sentence must come from a unanimous jury recommendation. The legislature fixed that the following March, making death sentences, um, requiring death sentences or recommendations to be unanimous at that point. So I have a couple of questions about that. First, maybe I should ask, so since then, since the death penalty um, required a unanimous recommendation by juries, what has been the rate at which people get sentenced to death in Florida? How has that rate changed since then? It's, it's, uh, it's definitely been affected. You asked earlier, what, why are some of the reasons maybe Florida has so many wrongful convictions? And one was the jury just had to, uh, be seven to five in a vote to recommend death, and the judge could override that. Um, so it has made a difference because you have to get all the jurors to agree to recommend death, and it puts more responsibility on them, even though it's just a recommendation. And what we're seeing is that public opinion is changing dramatically in Florida. Uh, across the board, it's probably two to one now, voters prefer a sentence of life or life without parole for someone convicted of murder and just, you know, one and 30% or less, you know, would want the death penalty for a murder. And we did a, we commissioned a poll in Pinellas County last year and that's how it worked out there. It was 67% of the voters preferred life and just a, a small percentage death. So, these the jury comes from the voting rolls so these are the people that are sitting on the juries that are going that you know they're not comfortable with it they're being a lot more careful they're studying the issue a lot more and weighing things and uh so since then it's been tough i know uh state attorneys every state attorney is a little different because they have complete autonomy to whether to, you know how often to seek death or not 
in Pinellas County, they've had a history of the state attorney's office of seeking death quite often. Uh, in fact, they have one of the highest rates in the nation. And since this law, this new sentencing law came into effect where a jury has to be unanimous, in Pinellas and Pasco County, that jurisdiction, they're 0 for 5. They've sought the death penalty five times, and not once have they been able to get it. And when you think about the millions of dollars it costs for each one of those death penalty sentencing attempts, all that was spent for nothing. It ended up in life sentences in each of those cases. So some state attorneys are more enlightened than others. Some still have that... Uh, attitude from the 1990s and earlier where, you know, we just want the severest punishment possible and we'll do anything, spend anything to get it. But it is causing some reflection and slow down even in those state attorney's offices. And we're going to come back to Pinellas and some other counties in just a second, but I do want to remind people that you're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF.org. Mark Elliott is our guest. He's executive director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. My name is Sean Canan. You're listening to 88.5 FM. It's 1122 in the morning, and we'd like you to call in with your thoughts on the death penalty, 813-239-9663. Do you support keeping that as an option or would you support a legislation that would completely eliminate the death penalty as an option in Florida you can also email dj at wmnf.org you can text 813-433-0885 so you mentioned Mark a few minutes ago Pinellas County and the prosecutors there uh, and whether they seek the death penalty Uh, a few years ago three or four years ago the Fair Punishment Project and the Harvard Law Report released a report called Too Broken to Fix Part 2, an in-depth look at America's outlier death penalty counties. And they found 16 counties across the whole country, four of them in Florida, which uh, used the death penalty more often than most. They were considered outliers. Duval County, Miami-Dade County, Pinellas County, and Hillsborough County. So we've already mentioned Pinellas. What's happened in Hillsborough County since that report came out? What did the voters say in 20, was it 2016, right? Right. And what happened was in 2016, um, Andrew Warren was a candidate for the state attorney in Hillsborough, and he won on a platform of criminal justice reform. You know, historically, in fact, today, Hillsborough County accounts for a, quite a high number of people on death row due to the past practices. It's one of the top 25 counties in the nation for having most people on death row. So as part of the, the continuum of criminal justice reform, taking a look at the death penalty, does it serve the public good? Does it help the, the community heal? Is it worth all the millions of dollars spent trying to get the death penalty in a case? And... Uh, when you weigh the, the criminal justice factors, there's no reason to seek it. So uh, it's being sought much less in Hillsborough than it was under the, the predecessor. Uh, and in Duval County, the state attorney there was a very zealous death attorney proponent. She was turned out of office by a criminal justice reform challenger. So we're seeing that more and more, that the criminal justice reform across the board, it's, it's uh, bipartisan, you name it. It makes so much sense today to really take an enlightened view about what's best for the community. How do we pe- keep people, you know, how do we heal the community? How do we 
keep the community safe and what's the best practices. And we're seeing that in uh, in Hillsboro. There's they're looking at past convictions to see if there was mistakes that were made or errors or new evidence has come to light. They're doing that on their own prerogative here, which is wonderful, you know, because typically the state attorney's office will resist at all costs any attempts to overturn a conviction. So they're actually taking, you know, taking the initiative on that. So every state attorney is, is different. Some are more enlightened than others. Some are stuck in the old, you know, maximum punishment at all costs and no matter who it hurts, you know, even the victims' families and the families of the condemned prisoners too. So it's, uh, it's an important change we're seeing. And the movement for criminal justice reform makes economic sense. It's an investment in the future all across the board. So we're seeing that. And Republicans, Democrats, you name it, they're all understanding that this is something where the times come to change the practices that were put into place decades ago that failed. In the same year that Andrew Warren was elected in Hillsborough, in Orange and Osceola counties, Aramis Ayala became the first black person elected state attorney in Florida. And then she announced that her office would not seek the death penalty. Well, when that happened, Governor Scott removed more than 20 potential death cases from her jurisdiction and transferred them to a state attorney who is outspo- who is an outspoken proponent of the death penalty. This happened in the last couple of years, two or three years. And to those 20 cases, they were potential death cases. Were there, I, I don't think there were any um, sentences of death from those 20, even though they went to a, a, a stricter prosecutor. Is that right? Yes, uh, they went to a... Uh, a zealot, actually, death penalty proponent, state attorney, uh, more than 20 cases of the five that have been tried thus far, none have resulted in a death sentence, all in a sentence of life. So it was, anyway, that was such a fiasco. All she did was tell the truth and base her decisions on, on the facts, on the best data available. And she took her responsibility seriously when she became elected that's when she really analyzed this and looked at it and said no i can't support this she merely did what any state attorney should do with that responsibility and try to make the decision as best for their community we're going to go to the phones in just a second, but I do want to tell you that you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF.org. Our guest is Mark Elliott, the Executive Director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. And we'd like to know what you think about the death penalty in Florida. Give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can email dj at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. We have John in St. Petersburg. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, thanks for having uh, Mr. Elliott on. Um, it's, I think it's very interesting to see the sort of uh, tectonic sh- plates shifting here on this topic and on, on criminal justice in general. Um, if, if your listeners have any qualms or questions about, you know, or, uh, or support the death penalty, I recommend to them that they meet an exoneree. Uh, they meet someone who has been on death row that the state of Florida or other states put on death row and were innocent of the crimes um, because putting a human face and a human life and the human tragedy on on people who were put on death row and uh, innocent people put on death row really makes it real. Um, and the other thing I want to mention that I don't hear often in the death penalty uh, uh, debate 
is that uh, the horrible damage that murder does to a circle of people, a community, friends and family. And uh, an acquaintance of mine some years ago was murdered, and I saw what it did to his friends and family. Um, they were all, he was, he was uh, his friends were either Quakers or they went to a church that took Jesus seriously, um, and so no one was crying out for the murderer's death. But the thing I want to bring out is that we, what I never hear is the damage done to the friends and family and community of the person being executed. Because the people in his, his friends, his family, his community are as innocent of anything, uh, they are as innocent as the person, uh, the people in the community and friends and family of the person who was murdered. Um, and so I don't want to be part of that. Uh, I don't want the state of Florida to be part of that because instead of having one circle of grieving, horrified people, now you have two, and that one was created by the state of Florida and, and my tax money. And I, I hope people who have lingering support or support the death penalty outright think of that, because I don't want to do to another set of innocent people, and I don't want the state of Florida to do that, to another group of innocent people, what the murderer has done to begin with. It doesn't solve anything, and it just increases the grief and the, and the horror. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks for that call. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for calling in. If you'd like to call in, it's 813-239-9663. Mark, do you have a response? Well, to the two items you mentioned, and thank you for your questions, your call. It's, it's spot on. I work with the uh, people who have been on death row and were later exonerated. And a local example, a recent example here, there was uh, Ron Wright Jr. Uh, was uh, worked at McDill, a resident of Hillsborough County. He was convicted and sentenced to death in Pinellas County uh, for murder and later uh, exonerated. He was a, uh, he had been a Deputy Sheriff in Orange County, Florida, with a spotless, unblemished record. He was a career Air Force uh, person eligible for retirement. And they stripped him of his eligibility for retirement before he was convicted. And uh, he was railroaded from square one. So he was exonerated two years ago. It, people have an image of who would be wrongfully convicted or who would go to death row. And they really, like you say, need to meet some of the people who have had that experience. It essentially can happen to anyone. Um, as far you know, there's so many invisible victims in this cycle of violence that uh, the death penalty promotes. Uh, and the families of the condemned prisoners are very invisible. Uh, and in their communities, a lot of times, and they're innocent victims, like you said. They've done nothing. They haven't been involved in anything, but they're shunned in their communities. Many people have to leave. Some lose their jobs. It's, they find it hard to talk about. They find it hard to tell the younger family members years later about their uncle or whoever that was executed. It's, uh, you know, more killing doesn't end the violence. It just continues the cycle and the harm for more people. One addition to that point, and I, I read a news story in the last week or two weeks, and now the details are have escaped me about which state it was in. But recently, a, a person was being executed, and during the execution, the I believe it was the son of the sons of the 
or maybe the cousins or something like that of the person being executed really uh, had a terrible grief during the, the process and, and ended up making such a big scene during the execution that they were arrested and they were charged with, I don't know what it was, disorderly conduct or maybe even violence against the officers who were trying to restrain them. But it kind of goes to that idea of, you know, this is, the, this is causing, uh, it could cause harm beyond just the person who's being executed. Oh, it certainly does. And that was in Texas. It was the son and the grandson of the person being executed. And uh, in Florida, uh, friends, family of the person being executed are not allowed to witness the execution. In Texas, they're separated by a wall from the families of the, victim, the original victims. But in Florida, they're not allowed on prison grounds. So... For the person being executed, there's no friendly face. There's no family member. There's the only people there usually that would be that would care about the person that are there would be the spiritual advisor. Who then they sit in a different room, but they can be seen through the the one way glass. And sometimes the attorney, if they've developed a relationship, and that's it. So they're in there by themselves. It's a theatrical production that's behind curtains and soundproof room the microphones turned off nobody knows what goes on and then they're only all the witnesses are only allowed to see what the state determines they can see our guest is mark elliott the executive director of floridians for alternatives to the death penalty it's 11:35 in the morning you're listening to 88.5 fm wmnf.org in tampa and <laughs> This, this reminds me, this conversation right now is reminding me of a lot of the botched executions, I guess you would call it, over the last few years, where there's been a transition from, you know, years ago it was, it was the electric chair, which uh, had its own level of gruesomeness, and then it, then it was more in vogue to do um, injections, lethal injections, and then a lot of the drug companies said, wait a second, we make... We make uh, medicine for people. We are not going to allow you to use our medicine to kill people. And now the states have had to go out and find either on the black market or from other countries or wherever they get it these cocktails. And they're 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 trying they're riffing it. They're just kind of uh, making it up as they go along. And there have been some executions recently where the person being executed is clearly in agony when there are reporters present. A lot of times, as you said, they, they try to hide as much of this from the public as possible. Um, what can you say about, about the agony that some people are going through as they're being, in addition to being killed? Well, that's very true. And I think the bottom line is there's no humane way to commit an inhumane deed, which is an execution. There's no right way to do the wrong thing. Florida's protocol has for quite a while in many other states too. It's a three drug protocol. The first drug is supposed to make the person unconscious, which is debatable whether that actually does or not. And the second one is a paralytic. So the second drug paralyzes a person where they can't move, they can't speak, they can't cry out, and they can't breathe. So then the third drug that's given is a super concentrated salt solution that essentially burns and short circuits the heart and all the other internal organs uh, are affected and burned by it. It's, uh, people have said it's, it's like being burned alive from the inside out. But it, it looks serene because the person, 
their eyes are closed, they can't move, so they don't have evidence of pain. So the courts, even the Florida Supreme Court, other courts have looked at and said, well, we don't have hard evidence that the person suffered, you know, painful whatever because they can't move. And it, you know, you could, someone could be burned at the stake. And I think one of the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court justices mentioned that and it would look like it was serene and they weren't feeling any pain because they'd be paralyzed with this drug. It's, I mean, and the only purpose of the drug, and I attended lots of the hearings, commission hearings in Florida on it, is to mask what's going on, to make it easier for the people doing the execution and the witnesses so it looks, you know, calm and relaxed. When it, but the person being killed will never know what they experienced because they're dead. Let's go back to the phone lines. We have, um, oh, actually, before I go to Dennis, I'm going to, sorry about that, Dennis. I am going to read, get caught up on a couple of text messages. Uh, this is a text that from Jeff in Newport, Ritchie, and Jeff says, you want to talk about innocent people on death row? Let's talk about people who haven't even drawn their first breath yet being put on death row for no reason. You cannot oppose the death penalty, support abortion, and expect to be taken seriously by any sane person. So, do you want to respond to, to Jeff? Or should I move on to the next question, or do you want to respond no, to that? No, that's fine. You know, the dignity of life is across the board. And uh, to some, it's a solid continuum, and it, and it means different things. But we're talking about executions, what they do. If you, if you observe what, what the language is, it glorifies these killings. It says they're, they're, it's justice, and it, 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 get, it offers that as a solution for someone who's angry enough and wants revenge that killing is acceptable. Not only acceptable, but praiseworthy. They, you know, the Department of Corrections or the governor's office uses language like it was a solemn, and it was... Uh, you know, humane, and it was dignified. And it, and the truth is, it's none of that. You know, a killing is a killing. And uh, so, yes, it, all these issues play together, but the execution just cheapens human life more than anything else I can imagine. All right, we'll go to one more uh, email before we go to the phones. And Bill says in St. Pete says, I, I long since settled this conundrum. How is it that the state can do that, which is prohibited to individuals? And the, I guess the answer that he gives or, or another question he poses is dilute guilt. So um, that's a comment out there from, now I can't recall, from Bill in St. Petersburg. All right, well, let's go to, let's go to the phones. Dennis is calling from the road. Hi, Dennis. Hi, I'm Dennis. And thank you for taking my call. I have a question for you. Uh, most people aren't as simple-minded as I am. You know, I was sort of raised on the idea that killing was bad. And according to a recent Scientific American article, it's one of the only constant crimes across all societies is killing. Okay. If killing is bad, and I take the time to formally recognize a process which takes a person, locks them up, essentially throws away the key, hold them in there forever, and then take them down the hallway with somebody going, omni bomby bomby good God, and somebody else sitting there saying, here's the shackles. And, and if you think about it, what they're doing is actually worse than probably the murderer had committed. You know, the commission of the crime was probably less obviously horrible than these actions that we take 
against them. You know, it's like a ceremony. You know, it's like a, it's, 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 it's almost a right. I, I find that particularly offensive. Uh, that's just because I'm simple-minded. I think that way. But what are your what are your thoughts about that? Don't you find that to be one of the most repulsive aspects of it? Dennis, thanks for the, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the bottom line is that executions are legalized, ritualized, premeditated murder that we all, by extension, participate in. The, uh, to be on death row, and I work with people who have been on death row or later exonerated, it's, you know, I mean, it's torture. It, it really is torture. People that, you know, they talk to, and they're, they're in solitary confinement, but they can still talk out the front bars of their cell. And they get to know people, and the person will be let out and killed. And then they each wonder, when is their turn? And uh, this goes on for years. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely torture. People are told they have an execution date. They go to the, the death chamber. Sometimes the IV started, and then they get a last-minute stay, and they're brought back. That happened a few years ago, and then uh, about six or nine months later, they brought the person back, and this time they just continued on and killed him. And he'd been on the, the gurney for two hours with the, uh, the needles in his veins and the salt solution going. So it's, it's definitely torture. It's hard for you and I or anyone that hasn't been to death row to really imagine what it feels like and what that sense is. But yes, it's, it's torture. Well, thank you for that call, Dennis. And we're going to go back to the phones in just a second, but I want to read this email first. Uh, Bubba, out there in cyberspace, uh, texts us and says, what's the deal with these so-called Christians rooting for state-sanctioned murder? Uh, These are fake Christians and they show no compassion. So that's a question or a statement, I guess, from Bubba. And we'll go now to, before we go to Gary in Sarasota, I just want to remind people that you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. You might be listening on the WMNF smartphone app or on WMNF.org or on Facebook.com slash WMNF News. Mark Elliott is our guest, Executive Director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. My name is Sean Canaan and you can call in 813-239-9 Six six three. All right. So, Gary, what is on your mind, Gary? Hi. Um, you know, my question is: on some crimes, they're so heinous that you have to have the death penalty. I mean, you can't have so many people in the general population in the prison; it makes it too dangerous. I like let's take that kid that shot all those children up down in um, in at the school there in, in Florida. He's never going to be a productive person in society. He's only going to be a drain on the on on the institution and protecting him. It's going to cost fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. It's not fair for the rest of society to protect an individual like that or keep him alive. Gary, thank you for that question. So the cost, uh, maybe Gary wasn't tuned in when, when, when you addressed the cost question. But what about that? What about people who are a danger to the general prison population? Um, I've gotten to know prison wardens who, you know, uh, professionals and uh, some even participate in executions and they tell me that they, the prison wardens and the people responsibility, have responsibility for, you know, order in prison. They can take care of these situations. If someone's dangerous, they know how to deal with it and they have all the mechanisms to do it. It really is not a problem uh, that you would think it would be. Uh, so there's other ways to deal with it. You know, if we killed anyone that was dangerous or potentially dangerous, you know, we, the, it would be, 
you know, it'd be a bloodbath. Um, and this, as you mentioned, the, 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 the situation where, you know, there's a mass murder uh, in South Florida, the Parkland shooting. From what I gather, the, the person that committed the crime has offered to plead guilty and take, you know, all these life sentences. So he's going to die in prison. And they're saying that this trial may last over a year, that they're going to have hundreds of witnesses and it's going to cost a zillion dollars and put people through this entire ordeal that could be avoided if they just take the plea and sentence him to death and let the victim's families make a statement. And then, you know, then it, the, the, that journey's over, that part of it's over. What about Gary's argument that uh, murder is such a, a heinous crime that having the death penalty acts as a deterrent and makes people less likely to commit murder? Well, it was a, the Department of Justice commissioned a blue ribbon panel several years ago to look into this because there's been studies and reports that yes, it's a deterrent. No, it's not. It actually promotes violence and killing. And uh, they, they looked into this and researched all the studies that have been done and said none of them rise to the level of public policy. There's no proof that the death penalty deters crime more than a prison sentence. It's just not there. And if you talk to law enforcement officers, they, by and large, will tell you the same thing. They said people aren't thinking about consequences when they commit these crimes. So it's just, it doesn't have that effect. Well, thank you for that call, Gary. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like to join the conversation, if you have an, a thought about the death penalty in Florida, give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. I'm Sean Canan, and our guest is Mark Elliott, Executive Director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. And uh, I have another question. I w um, we were talking earlier about Hearst versus Florida. This is the case that induced, I guess, the Florida legislature to change jury recommendation rules for the death penalty from seven to five vote to a unanimous vote. And that's because the state legislature and the, I'm sorry, the state Supreme Court and the Florida and the U.S. Supreme Court both essentially scolded Florida for its, its law about that, about jury recommendations. Florida's Supreme Court has just recently drastically changed. Three new conservatives have replaced uh, liberals, essentially, on Florida's Supreme Court. And you could say the same thing about the U.S. Supreme Court, where two conservatives have replaced one conservative and uh, a liberal on the, or maybe a moderate on the Supreme Court. So the U.S. Supreme Court is more conservative than it was. The Florida Supreme Court is a lot more conservative than it was. Do you expect to, to see the death penalty come up again in the Supreme Courts of the state or of the U.S. now that, now that things have changed? Well, it historically has come up, uh, and I'm sure it will again. It's going to be, you know, it's hard to say everything's going to be a little tougher now if the, if the court is more you know, less inclined actually to, to be sympathetic to some of these issues with the death penalty. So we'll see. Um, last year, at the end of the session, I think it might have been the last day, the Florida Senate took up a bill that would uh, recommend that the Hearst decision be made retroactive. Because what's bizarre about the way the Hearst decision was interpreted by the Florida Supreme Court was it only went back to the year 2002. And if someone's, uh, you know, appeals had run out prior to that, uh, then they weren't eligible, even though 
the sentencing provision was found to be unconstitutional. And this legislation would have made it, would have recommended that it be made fully retroactive. And the vote was 33 to 3 in the Senate. I mean, it was powerful. If something's unconstitutional, it's unconstitutional. So you can't put, well, it wasn't the day before yesterday, it, it's okay, but today it's, no, no, no. It either is or isn't. And probably the most egregious part is we've been executing people who were sentenced under this now unconstitutional sentencing law. Which I think, you know, just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So hopefully this court will take another look at it. The recommendation from the legislature would be very powerful with the court. How did that fare in the House or since it was the last day, it didn't even come up in the House? It didn't come up in the House this year. If it gets support, then that would be the thing to have the House also vote on it because it definitely has a lot of support and bipartisan support because it's really a no-brainer. Something's either unconstitutional or constitutional. It's not, well, yes, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Our guest is Mark Elliott, Executive Director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. My name is Sean Canan. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF.org. It's 11.50 in the morning. I may have said afternoon earlier. Sorry, hard, habits are hard to break. Um, but I want to continue talking about the legislature in the Florida Senate. Senator Gary Farmer Jr. is sponsoring SB 472, and in the House, Joseph Geller and Dottie Joseph are sponsoring HB 6013. If passed, these bills would end the use of the death penalty in Florida, but both houses are controlled by Republicans, so what are the chances that either of these pass this year? Each time this happens, progress is made. People are educated in the legislature, at, at the minimum, they're educated on this issue, and uh, it, it's, it's a way to get the conversation started. It's a way to get something going like a cost study on the death penalty to answer some of the questions about why it costs so much. The legislature can do that with an OPAGA study. There's things that, that, that can be promoted with this. Uh, I would ask everyone to please contact their state senator and their representative and ask them to support these bills. The important thing is the name of the bill. It's easy to remember, death penalty. So please ask your representative support the bills on the death penalty. You can go to our site, www.fadp.org, and there's a link to find your legislators and, and, and messaging and all that. So please do something about this. Get involved. If they don't hear from you, their constituents, nothing's going to change. And you have a lot of power through that as a constituent with your representatives. And you're asking people to contact their state legislators, but what you're also, I believe, on your website, it mentions contacting your local prosecutors. Exactly, and you have even more clout, more standing locally dealing with local officials and their decision-making. Your state attorney, bottom line is, they sign off on, uh, they're the ones that decide whether or not to seek the death penalty. And when they do that, they're spending millions of your dollars to do that. And they're not likely to get a death sentence. It's, it's, and go to our site under Take Action. You'll see the action for this, for the, uh, the state attorneys. There's a tool to find out how to contact your state attorney. And, uh, and some things, suggestions about talking points, but these people will should be re responsible for you. You're you matter a lot more locally than you do at the state level. 
Do you have any idea of what Ron DeSantis's uh, position is on the death penalty? Has he made any public statements about it? As far as I know, he hasn't made any public statements on it. Uh, he's in general, he's a conservative Republican, though, and so it's possible that he would, even if these pass, he might uh, overturn or veto it. Right. You know, it's it's generalizing can lead to mistakes, and so we just don't know. There's conservatives that deeply support abolishing the death penalty. In fact, most of the legislation that's been offered in other states this year has been from conservative Republicans. They see the wisdom in eliminating the death penalty or just not using it. So there's, uh, there's a lot more support among Republicans and conservatives now than there ever was. That's the fastest growing uh, segment of support for ending the death penalty is conservative Republicans. So there's really no way to know. It's an individual decision people make, hopefully based on the best data they can get. And I want to run through some of the polls. Earlier you were talking about how roughly two to one people in Florida support uh, life in prison as opposed to the death penalty. And here's some poll numbers that you provided me before the show. Uh, 2016 public policy polling poll of Florida, 62% of Floridians support life in prison without parole, and 35% support the death penalty. And in um, Pinellas County, January of 2018, so a little more than a year ago, 68% of people supported life in prison without parole, compared to 30% that support the death penalty. And another Florida poll in 2016, 57% supported life in prison versus 43% the supported the death penalty. So this is roughly, you're right, roughly, you know, two thirds of two, more than a half for sure. More than half of Floridians oppose the death penalty, oppose the use of the death penalty, roughly a third maybe support it depending on the poll and depending on where you are in the state. How has that changed over the decades? It's changed dramatically. Um, Support was very, for the death penalty was extremely low in the in the 60s and 70s, and then it ramped up during that tough on crime, uh, hard on crime uh, push that was made after that. Uh, what we're seeing, and it's it's so fortunate for this issue. The more someone knows about the death penalty, the less they like it. Is a saying. It was true for me, and it's true for a lot of people. So it's just. The education, the awareness, I think that's having an impact as people find out more about it. When I first started this, it was very difficult to find out good information and data on the on this issue, on the death penalty. But now it's there. Exonerees uh, are available to speak uh, to organizations. We help with that. We have a program called Don't Kill For Me, Stories of Life Over Death. And it's murder victims, family members, it's death row exonerees, uh, give passionate they tell their stories what it is. They don't come there to convince anyone or with an opinion. They're telling their story, and then people can walk away with whatever opinion they draw from that. But it's someone telling their real-life story. It's very powerful. It's not just an opinion. So uh, if someone would like or is interested in exoneree to come speak to their group or their, at their college or school, we help arrange that. Same thing with murder victims, family members, and others that are involved in the system to really just tell their story about what it is, what it actually is, not the theory, but how it is in practice. And that's what seems to move people the most is the reality of, okay, it's, it, this is what it really is. And this is how it affects people. And, and they find it hard to support it. So it works for us for people to know the data, know the truth, know the facts and meet the people involved. 
and it speaks for itself if you can just get get it out there for people to to learn that's and, the key and your website is fadp.org let's take a call from mike in tampa hi mike hi uh when bill Clinton uh went for president in 1992 uh he asked you to marry a uh, ill man uh just to show that he could speak for the death penalty. And uh, many of the people on death row are mentally ill. And uh, I think the death penalty should be abolished for that reason. All right, thank you for that call, Mike. That's one of the, you know, yeah, you're, you're right about what President Clinton did back then. That was in that tough-on-crime era, and a lot of people got swept up on it when people are still paying a price for some of those policies that were put into place then. Um... I'm sorry. What was the second part of your question? I started. Oh, I think Mike dropped off, and you know I can't recall. Sorry. Okay. Oh, I know what you act. You ask about severe mental illness and the death penalty, and that is a huge issue. The U.S. Supreme Court said you can't ex. States can't execute someone that's severely mentally ill, but they didn't define what that is. So, in some states like Florida. If a person is aware that they're going to be executed and that it's for some something they did, even if they're not sure what it was, that actually makes them eligible for execution, even if they're hallucinating and completely and have, you know, decades of psychiatric treatment. None of that seems to affect it. So that needs to change. There needs to be a realization that some people are... are you know, just it's it's just different. Whether they're intellectually disabled or severely mentally ill or what have you, it, it, it there's different levels of culpability, and they need to be recognized. Well, thank you for that call, Mike, and I want to thank you so much for joining us on WMNF eighty eight point five FM. Mark, thanks so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for coming in. Mark Elliott is Executive Director of Floridians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty, and the website is fadp.org. I want to thank everyone who called, emailed, and texted today. If you're still on hold or if you'd like to leave a voicemail with your thoughts about the death penalty, give me a call at 813-238-8001, extension 114, and I'll play your message on a, a, a show coming up soon. You can also join the conversation online at WMNF. WMNF.org slash news. We're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at WMNF News. I want to thank our engineers, Jeff Haynes and Bill Grace. I'm Sean Canan. At 11 tomorrow morning, Mary and Arlene will host an International Women's Day special at 11. So stay tuned now for Midpoint Thursday, and that's coming up right after NPR headlines on WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, Lakeland, Newport Ritchie, and Clearwater. Thanks so much for listening.